You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Open Concessions podcast presented by Toyota, featuring a weekly in-depth conversation with a Chicago Cubs-related personality. We are your hosts, Len Casper, Jim Deshaies, you know us as the Cubs television tandem. J.D., happy December. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I did indeed, Len. Uh, see if you can identify this sound. <sighs> it sounds like you're drinking coffee or some other <laughs> beverage. A, taking a sip of hot coffee. We just went for a nice cold weather walk. It's amazing how quickly things have turned around. And turned into winter, but yeah, we're great. Uh, Thanksgiving was quiet, as you might expect, but but great. It was fun. Uh, how about you guys? Yeah, pretty quiet. We uh, did a little uh, Zoom call with uh, family. Uh, it was it was tough not being uh, kind of having the normal uh, Thanksgiving, but you make do uh, in a year like this. So uh, I guess all in all, uh, staying safe and healthy is the biggest thing. <laughs> we knock on wood were able to do that. Uh, our guest on this podcast is our good friend, Cubs manager David Ross, and uh, really looking forward to to getting Rossi's take a couple of months after a pretty unique first season as a big league manager, to say the very least. Yeah, he got thrown into the fire, did he not, um, with all the complications due to the virus? Uh, but by all accounts, you know, from people we've talked to, he did a great job down in the clubhouse. But it will be very interesting to hear. His take, and I think the most compelling question that I have for Rossi, and if I forget to ask this, remind me, uh, why never Dave? It's David, it's Rossi, and I think people really want to know, why never Dave? Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, most Davids do become Dave uh, or Davey at some yeah. point. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're right. It is, it's mainly Rossi. He, he, he likes that. But, yes. Uh, good question. I will remind you if uh, it doesn't come up. <laughs> you can tell I've done a lot of research. I've prepped hard for this, so I'm ready. All right. Well, enjoy our chat with Cubs manager, David Ross. Rossi, uh, great to talk to you after a uh... A couple of months here in the interim. Give us uh, your thoughts now that you've been able to come down a little bit emotionally uh, after a, a rather unique first year as a big league manager. Yeah, um, you know, still very proud. I think, like looking back at all the challenges that kind of encompassed 2020, especially uh, on the players' uh, side. I, I'm just so thankful for the group I have. Still, I mean. Listen, you go into spring training with this goal and you're moving forward down in Arizona and things just hit a halt and you're expected to keep your mind and body in tip-top shape because you know at some point that you're going to have to, you know, ramp it back up pretty fast and and to be able to do that with the the country shutting down, um really the world shutting down and and you know finding guys to play with and facilities to try to work out with uh at with other players and pitchers keeping their arms in shape and and being able to come into, you know, what's a second spring training and all the the kind of uh, protocols and and hoops you have to jump through and and be able to to overcome a, a new manager and his uh, shortcomings uh that they did. Yeah, I don't know, man, I'm just so thankful for how they attacked the season and you know, it didn't turn out the way I I thought. I I look back on just, you know, just some historic down years from guys that've got really good resumes and and I only thing I think about is how much fun we had a, I had a lot of fun um especially early on when we were kind of rolling and then just how much fun when you look back if we would have hit it all just to just up to like some of these guys um you know halfway to what their resumes say it would have been such a fun season and and we I feel like we would have we'd have done done a done a lot and impressed a lot of people so um, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to make excuses. It was unique and 2020 is unique, but, um, I mean, the feeling still just very proud of, of that, those guys and my coaching staff, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, so so the, you're talking about the, the struggles of some of your hitters. Um, do you attribute that to uh, small sample size in a 60-game season, the oddity because of COVID, uh, which might be a difficult argument to make because other players around the league had good years, yeah. or just or just uh, that's freaking baseball. Weird things happen and guys have off years. Yeah, JD, if I could put my my finger on it, you know, we were trying to figure it out all season, and and you know, I just I still you, you know don't have a a real. You know, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, just uh, what we're like in our routine. But 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 like you said, I don't want to sound like any excuses um, throwing out there. I I really just believe that um, it's unique, and and sixty games is is uh, such a short amount of time and and the pressure that you felt or I, you know these guys I think felt trying to produce and 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 then the window of time starts to shorten and they just put so much pressure on themselves you know I think you sometimes go into teams um when I was a player uh and you you hope everybody on the team cares as much as you do or or you know is willing to put in the work well, the one thing I know about our group is it, it's almost like they care too much. You know, they were fighting so hard um, for one another, for our organization, for for me. I felt like, which is so uh, rewarding, um, that you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to make excuses and, and blame anything. There's a lot of different circumstances, and um, I'm trying to. And, and my first year managing, so I don't have a lot of things to to bounce off of from that seat. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a combination of a lot of things, and 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 a lot of those fall into the categories that you listed. It, it it's funny, uh, not ha ha funny, I guess, but the adage is always pitching and defense wins championships, right? Right. You pitched and you played great defense. You won a team gold glove in 2020, and it it really underscores that it's kind of about balance and you you do have to score runs too. And when you look at the best teams in baseball, they're able to kind of do all those things, but you have to feel very proud of, you know, cleaning up a lot of the things that did not go well the year before. And particularly on the defensive side, I I thought this team was really good. Yeah. And the base running side as well. And I think that, I think we, we had some, some areas we wanted to improve on and we did that. So that feels good from a, from a, a manager standpoint and, and very uh, appreciative of my coaches and how they attacked that. I think that that stood out to me. Um, but yeah, you know, I look at that and you say that it, we, you know, we did win the central and we still didn't hit, you know, so mm-hmm. it does win championships, right? It kept us in it. Like our pitching and our defense kept us in it when we were just non-existent offensively, we found a way to win. And, and I think that goes to the work and the character of the guys to continue to fight when things were just off, you know, and um, it wasn't always pretty, but we, we found a way to hold on there for that. And and as much as we were troubleshooting uh, as as fast as we could um, from my seat, you know, I'm used to uh, time, right? You want to give the guys time. You want to not panic. And in a 60 game season, I really found a hard time balancing, like speaking real truths to these guys in moments and, and yet letting them have some time to figure some stuff out. And we just ran out of time is really what I believe. But, um, you know, that you're used to 162. And so my first year manager, the last thing I wanted to, was to be a, a first year manager and these guys to feel panic or push or, uh, unsettled and, 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 just a bad stretch of a couple of weeks that turned into a month. And now we're, we're kind of scrambling to figure it out. So, um, you know, that, that's a lot of probably my own, um, hesitation of just getting in there a little deeper and, and maybe making some significant changes or having some significant conversations where I was trying to, to give it time and trust in the the guys that had the resumes. I want to get back to those adjustments and lineups and, you know, how Hap kind of matriculated his way from nine to one. Uh, Hayward kind of moved up as as his season went along. But I I do want to underscore something you said, even though it was a 60 game season, we do have to remember that, as you said, you won the division. So if the, the two game sample size was the Marlins series, and so there's always that battle, right, of, yes, there were things that happened in that series that had happened before and, and should be of concern, 
But if there was a bigger picture this year, it's that you were the best team in the division. And so it's like that balance, right, of disappointment that you didn't go deeper, but also understanding that you had a really good year. Yeah, yeah. And I, I try to hold on to the positive. It's such a negative game. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that as much as I possibly can because I don't, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter when you got hot. It's the fact that you're, <laughs> you're kings at the end. So, you know, I, again, we, we, we had bigger goals in mind. I'm always going to have bigger goals than that. And, and we didn't, um, we didn't show up when, when, you know, this group is uh, used to showing up in the postseason. We didn't. And, um, you know, we have to take some long, hard looks, uh, at how we continue to get better and maybe, uh, just even train and go about our business and make faster adjustments. Right. Um, those are some things that stood out for me is like, we're going to have, we're going to need to adjust faster and the small sample size is what it is, but sometimes that may be all you have the last month of the season when you're fighting for something down the stretch and you, you see a real uh, problem occurring or arising that you need to get on top of uh, as soon as possible. So um, those are things that stood out to me is we definitely got to find a way to troubleshoot a little faster uh, than we did this past season. Rossi, a lot of the, the postmortem on the season, a lot of the analytics and the conversation was um, that the lineup is kind of too one-dimensional. Like a lot of the hitters kind of have the same approach. And the other one was that the Cubs had a hard time with velocity. Um, fair? In your yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just my assessment as I look back, some things that I even found important coming in and and – um, you know, the messaging that I hit the guys with early on and what I believe in winning, um, you know, we've got to command the strike zone better for me. I think as a whole, I think when you watch, um, you know, the playoffs and seeing the teams that um, if you don't throw it inside that box, you know, they're not going to bite at it. And as hard as it is to hit these days, um, owning that strike zone is important. And then um, you know, I, I may have over pushed the, the grind at bats, right? We, we've got some, we're some really hitter friendly counts that we didn't do anything in as a group. So, um, I'm trying to take ownership of that and, and maybe I don't know that I, that that's not what I believe. I, I believe in, in having the right plan. And so I don't ever want that to get, you know, messaging can be funny. Everybody takes things a little bit differently. So I'm, I'm looking at, at how to attack that going into next year. Um, but you know, I think it, it it's a it's a it, it's one of those things that you you're you're able to have a clearer picture when you look back. Uh, and then as far as the, the velocity goes, you know, I think we might need to have some training methods that that can help us and being ready for for that type of velocity. And, and we're in the process of of working as an organization of um, maybe implementing some new training tools that that could really help us out um, and and helping us be better uh, on that end. Two guys in particular I'd mentioned earlier, uh, Hap and Hayward, um, were kind of middle to bottom of the order hitters. And by the end of the year, they were middle to top. Um, in Hayward's case, I, I thought he didn't, he didn't give up one at bat all year. I, I mean, I don't know how you felt. Just He was the Cubs' best, most consistent hitter and did all those things that you just described about being in favorable counts and then actually did stuff with that. Uh, Hap had a, had an interesting year in that he was really good early, and then and then the league really adjusted to him. Can you talk about those two guys separately and, and what you saw as the season went on? Yeah, I thought um, I'm 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 definitely on board with uh, Jason Hayward was our best at bat throughout the season. Um, I really felt like there was a conscious effort to focus on what he did well, uh, where he saw the ball and liked uh, the ball, and he wasn't gonna. Ch I mean. There was adamant, he was very adamant about, or, or I should say um, angry when he would chase up out of the zone or get outside of what he knew he did well. And you could see it uh, in his body language, uh, in his actions. Uh, there were a few times where he had, you know, either a three-two count or two strikes on him and he chased up out of the zone um, and he was, you know, really pissed off and that's what I want to see is guys that know what they do well and sticking to that plan and, and having that plan. I thought he did that the best of our group. Um, you know, I moved him up a little bit there at the end, just out of, you know, trying to shake some things up and he likes his, he likes his spot in the lineup and keeping him comfy. So 
but I, I, I loved, uh, I loved what he did for us this year. Very consistent. And he's such a, he's such a leader on our team, uh, in so many ways, but that was, that was definitely one that I, that stood out to me as well. And then, you know, Happer, I thought jumped on, uh, I, I thought going into it, Ian was going to be the wild card of our group. We're really going to be able to do something special if he had a great year. Um, and he did, he did just that, you know, moving him, starting him off down in the lineup where we could kind of turn it over and have a really quality at bat in front of uh, KB when he was leading off. Uh, and he took to that, took his walks, drove the baseball and then moving him up a little bit there um, when he was having some success to so that six, seven hole, I believe um, where he started to drive in some runs. I really thought he took off. And then we were just hurting when KB was down of who to have a leadoff guy. Um, and then there's always that, that extra little bit of pressure. Like I want to continue to have a great season. You know, the, the mind plays tricks on you. I saw him get back to a little bit of his old habits of chasing up out of the zone at times, but, uh, he reined that back in towards the back end of, of the season and the, and in the postseason for sure for us, uh, Ian's a, a quality player, quality human being, good teammate. Um, he's a guy that we're going to rely on for a long time is, his power and his and his uh, strike zone recognition is really uh, something that continues to develop, and he's very um, thought out in, in his approach and how he attacks the game and, and understands what he does well. And so, um, it was nice to see Ian take a take a step forward for him and his career. One other guy before JD jumps back in, I want to ask you about is um, Contreras had an interesting year, Rossi, in that I felt like his best stretch was when he didn't walk. And when guys are hitting and they're not walking, you always get a little nervous and, you know, he's got a good approach and we'll take his walks. But is, is that one of those things too, that you, you, you got to check yourself a little bit. And when a guy's hitting, he's hitting and, and that's good. And you don't, like you said, it's messaging as yeah. a hitting coach, whatever. You don't want to get in a guy and say, Hey man, you, you know, you're swinging a lot early, but he was crushing the ball early on, even though he was striking out and he wasn't walking. And so, there's that fine line, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. He, and, and, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, you know, the, the only stat that shows up in my column is the W. So I leave him alone <laughs> on that. But um, no, I think Wilson was going to, you know, I moved him around the lineup probably the most. And, um, you know, you saw there to the end, he was in that two, three hole where it just could really, you know, he brings a, a threat. He's, I thought he started to take his walks a lot better towards the back end. Yeah. Uh, he understood how they were pitching him. Um, I think, you know, we talked a little bit with him after the season, and uh, he's a guy, he's so competitive that he he understands catching and hitting and, and how the other team's going to attack him. So I felt like there was a stretch there when he struggled the most that he was trying to – hit what they were going to throw him rather than staying in his approach and his plan. And once he got back to that on the back end, he turned back into to the hitter we know he can be. So, um, yeah, he's a he's one that that I like to see his at-bats because it's almost like he's in he's in the ring with the other guy and he's fighting that pitcher that day. Uh, everything he does is, a, is competition and he's battling. It's him against the world. And um, I like that. I like the swag he brings, the intensity he brings. I know sometimes it gets um, a little bit mis misinterpreted, I think, and and he knows that. We all know that, but he's a guy with that has such passion that um, we needed that. And I thought he put us on his back there late, like that the home run against the White Sox with the bat flip. Is as much as that's not my style, like I can't love it anymore. You know, like we mm -hmm. needed, we weren't hitting at all coming out of Pittsburgh and. Um, things were going in the wrong direction for us. And I thought he was one of those guys that put us, put us on his back. That's funny. You, you, you talked about the bat flip. I was, I was going to ask you, as you talked about Contreras, would, would it, is it safe to say um, that he would be your, your most high maintenance guy? <laughs> A lot of conversations. Uh, uh, just, just yeah, I, mean, I think the main thing for me with him, JD, is that um, when he gets too emotional, when it gets to be, just super emotional he's not as good of a player and i've i've talked to him about that the most i you know as far as he, he works his tail off and yeah we have conversations but definitely not my definitely not my highest maintenance player um he he's a guy that i think he respects me because i've done the job and and um and i do value his opinion because i can ask him real pointed questions in the middle of the of the of battling and 
Uh, he'll give me some really good feedback. Um, no, man, he is, if you understand where the, the emotions are coming from, it's a little bit easier to deal with. And um, I think in this job, I learned early on about setting boundaries with almost every player. And um, we, we set some boundaries early on. I told him what I expected when he was out on the field and um, what I needed out of him. And, and if we had a problem with that, he could come uh, and have conversations with me. And, you know, he, I think he went through some, some times there where he was trying to navigate all those things and trying to uh, harness that emotion and continue to grow as a, as a major league baseball player. Uh, and I thought he did a good job for us. I thought he did a really good job. I thought he was one of our leaders and um, he worked his tail off with, with Craig driver. And we saw him, his name pop up in a lot of the great um, accolades that uh, our, we got defensively. And um, yeah, man, I'm super proud of him and, 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 you know, he's emotional, but uh, I, rather that, right. than than the other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. than just a kind of a, a dead lifeless kind of guy. Yeah. You, right. love, you love the energy. Toyotathon is on, and there are great deals on your favorite Toyota models, such as the RAV4, the Highlander, Camry, Corolla, Tundra, Tacoma, and more. That's right, Toyotathon is on. Did I mention every new Toyota comes with Toyota Care? Their two year or 25,000 mile maintenance plan. Visit toyota.com for more details and get into your local Chicagoland Toyota dealer today. Toyotathon ends January 4th. Toyota Care covers normal factory scheduled service for two years or 25,000 miles, whichever occurs first. See your participating dealer for details. We hope to have fans back in the ballpark in 2021. By placing a ticket pack deposit, you'll have the opportunity to purchase tickets before the general single game ticket on sale date. There are eight game packs and 14 game packs that can be customized to your preferences. For more information, visit cubs.com slash ticket packs. This team did something that probably no professional team has done in 2020. And that is you went through an entire non-bubble season without a positive COVID test on the roster, which is just amazing. And we, we talked a lot this year about Tommy Hadovy's story and as awful as it was that he had to go through that, how big an imprint did that story have on the guys and did it matter? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It definitely mattered. I think it mattered I think where it mattered the most is I saw it in the Zooms during the downtime. I saw him. We talked probably daily, if not every other day, and I saw it. So it just made it real for me when I got ready to address the group. Um, but, I, you know, I want to take a step back on that. And, and we've gotten so much credit for that. But I, I, I have to give all that to one, our, our, our trainers, our doctors, and then, you know, the leadership, Jed and Theo. You guys have no idea how on top of this thing they were from the get-go and holding guys out from coming in that you thought, oh, no big deal. Hayward's in Chicago. Um, Kipnis is in Chicago. Happer's in Chicago. Just let them come to the field and let them work out. It's not that big a deal. And and it was a big deal And early on. And they they set protocols and standards early on as soon as we left spring training. They were some of the first guys to cancel stuff send everybody home. We're not hanging around here. Um, just encompassing that whole process as I think back on it, that they were so up to date on the information. They were so ahead of like what was in the news even uh, at times for me or even the things I was checked in on. So I think it started there and them setting the protocols and standards of, of making sure we're going to be the safest uh, group in this downtime and then working our way how are we going to integrate everybody back in was very thought out um planned great um leadership on their part that that just kind of fell into place and then you know I think the the touch that maybe I had that affected the guys was I just tried to talk about the unselfishness of um when you have to make the tough decision whether to to go out and grab a beer or you know it, it's hard to be stuck inside all the time and just go home some guys didn't have any family there but some guys did have family there and Craig Kimbrell has 
a daughter that's had numerous heart surgeries uh, before she's turned three or four years old. And um, we've got guys that are living with parents that have asthma problems or, or lung problems. And like I started ta- listing off some of the guys and, and their family members that that had some issues and and guys are on the you know cusp of you know thinking about maybe checking out on the season or you know there was a lot of uncertainty going into that and so we had to navigate those waters um carefully and and we did and and it's about those guys being accountable to one another is really what I put on them and and they held up their end of the bargain and and you see how it how how well we did and and kind of you know getting being able to be the only team that did that I'm super super proud of that and it's all about them I'll give you a quick Theo story uh, and just how on top of things he is and was. Uh, I, and, you know, going through the first three weeks of spring training, you know, we were broadcasting every day. And obviously I knew about the pandemic, but I wasn't on it every day. I would just see a headline here or there. Right. right. And so I think it was the Monday uh, of that week. We, were, we had a game in Scottsdale against the Giants. And that's when stuff started to really happen. And the, the media were not allowed in the, in the clubhouses. And so JD and I kind of had an idea that something may be coming. So the day everything shut down was March 12th or 13th, right? And I interviewed Theo uh, right after spring training had been stopped. And he, he absolutely insisted on six feet of social distancing which was still something that we didn't really know about. So he was way ahead of it that way. And after the interview, I said, yeah, I don't know what to do. I'm just, you know, two weeks or he goes, go home mid June at the earliest. Yeah. I mean, Rossi, he was, he was so far ahead of it. He knew exactly. And I, and it's exactly what you said. Like he was telling everyone, get out of here. You know, this thing is serious as a heart attack. And I was really impressed at, at how far ahead of the, the news he was. Yeah, he was leading. We had our leadership Zooms. And, and as you know, you, you realize you get the seat and how how much work those guys do up there and, and, and directing, whether it's like international guys, scouts, uh, minor leagues, like travel, getting guys back to their country, their homes, their families, visas. I mean, it was just there was so much going on. I'm listening. For the first time in all these, you know, these Zoom meetings that we're having at home, I'm like, man, how does this guy get any rest? But but you're exactly right. Uh, he he was on top. I remember I think I said something about, well, can't we just um, do this or that on some subject? And it was literally we got off the phone. He sent me like seven articles on, <laughs> on like indoors and eating and just all this different stuff. I mean, it was and and then you read it and you're like, wow, you know, so that's where that leadership that we're definitely going to miss. Jed, Jed's in on that too. Jed's, yep. uh, you know, well-prepared and um, has been doing a long time, but just those, their, their, their leadership really stood out to me and how much is on their plate on a daily basis was um, really cool to see and, and how they handle that. You're not a doctor, but do you think you had COVID? You, you said you had the worst flu you've ever oh, had in your life. And it was like, Doc Adams swears to me, no, because I tested for, I tested positive for influenza A. So he okay. said he had the flu, but my lungs burned so bad, mm. uh, like something like razor blades in my chest. And uh, the couple of people I've talked to that have had it um, say it's really, really hard on your lungs. So um, I'm sticking with doc and saying no, but there's that, you know, there's that like part of my brain, like you had something different. Cause that, that was, I would, the fever and the, and the, and the cough. Cause I never, never threw up. I never had any, you know, stomach issues. It was just my lungs and, and a, and a really bad fever. What was the line JD? Lou Gehrig, you are not. <laughs> I just remember you and I were just like, "Can you believe this? Rossi is not managing the first game of his career." Yeah, I told him. I told him karma, but you know what? Because he got it right, right out. He got the flu right after that. He a couple of days. Nobody talks yeah. about that. He said yeah. that on TV. Well, I had the I had the flu in March too, and and uh, we're finding out that COVID yep. was around earlier in different parts of the country than uh, than than we realized. Uh, one of our camera guys, Wynn, said he, 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 was, he had COVID. He was working in Japan last October and uh, yep. had, had tested positive. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, so I guess to, to last one on COVID, w- w- what was the big thing that you couldn't do that really is essential in the big picture 
for you as a manager moving forward, understanding that some of those things still may be in place to start next season? I, I think just the, you know, and we were a pretty loose group, but, you know, like the mask on talking to your players is never like a great, you know, vibe. Um, there were a couple of times I was got a little, little, uh, and, you know, excited, I guess, or emotional and kind of ripped my mask down and just said, screw it in a big, big outdoor venue. But, um, you know, I think the main thing really is on the player side. Like we, they work so hard. You need release. You need to go on as after a Sunday day game, you need to go to, to a bar and have some beers and, and watch football or, um, just be able to go to a nice dinner. It's a great thing about Chicago is the day games and going to dinner and different things like that. I thought that was, you know, there was, it felt like work all the time. Like, you know, I know it was a 60 game season, but to a man, everybody you talk to, it felt like a 200 game season. If you, if you ask each guy, um, what that felt like. Um, but as a manager, I think you're just, you're waiting for something to go wrong every second. I can't tell you how many times Early on, Theo called me at seven in the morning when the test would come in during summer camp, and okay, we've got a we've got a uh, inconclusive on this guy and that guy, or you're an inconclusive, and you got to stay home until we go get go down to Northwestern get tested. Um, you know, this guy, you know, what just something new every day. Well, KB, there was one day that we sent him home; he had a stomach ache, but that's one of the symptoms, right? Just and we're like, well, maybe it was just bad barbecue. You know what I mean? Like maybe it just wasn't some good food we had the night before. But uh, yeah, I mean, just you're walking on pins and needles and waiting for the the ball to drop any minute. And so there's just that added anytime somebody walks in, especially if it's Theo, Jed, uh, PJ, Doc Adams, uh, any of the training trainers or, or doctors walk into my office, I'm just like holding my breath that, that something, you know, could just be like, hey, uh, you know, so-and-so is, is good to go. Sometimes I'd get good news, but you're just kind of waiting for, for some bad stuff to drop. So looking forward, what is your best guess? Uh, how many games are going to play in 2021? Man, um, I really don't know, uh, J.D. I, I, I'm planning for 162. I, I'm, I'm seeing the spikes uh, a little bit around the country and what this cold weather might bring is a little bit scary, but you know, there's the the rumors of the vaccine coming and and when that might be in place. I really trust in in our leadership and then the leadership of Major League Baseball to to kind of direct us on that. But everything that they're telling us is is on time, and uh, as much as that's maybe hard to believe, that's how I'm gonna 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 set my mind, and I don't ever want to be surprised. It's always easier to slow down for me than than try to catch up. So uh, we're gonna plan. Like things are uh, go ahead until they tell us to to pause. How's the media stuff? Uh, because when you become a manager, you realize you got to do like three hundred things with the media one at one before the game, one after the game. I thought you handled it really well, but there are times when I know you want to be honest and you want to be transparent, but especially with all the COVID stuff, like you can't be, right? Yeah, yeah, you can be. I appreciate you saying that because I, I, you know, I don't ever know how I come off. I, I, I definitely, I feel like we've got a great uh, media group. They, they really are. Uh, you know, I know them as a player, so maybe I just, I, I, I like them a little more than maybe some, some managers. But uh, we've got, we've got good guys uh, and girls that are around there, and so I enjoy those conversations. It's nice to try to try to dictate the narrative and 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 talk about the things that you believe in and and how hard. Uh, the game is and how are the guys work, but yeah, sometimes you have to keep some stuff close to the vest because it's just one is just maybe against the law to, to say certain medical stuff. And, um, and then you can't tell them everything. And, you know, that's hard for me. I'm, I'm, I try to be an honest guy and, um, and, and I'm pretty open book for most people. So uh, I thought they handled me well. I thought I was a grumpy grumpy old man a couple of times, uh, in those things. And, and, um, I thought it went pretty well, I man. I, I feel like I've got a great group to work with. So, um, you know, that was a good test run 60 games, uh, not one, one twenty. maybe I'll be tired after one sixty two or something, but, uh, <laughs> and plus, but, uh, I thought, uh, I thought, I thought, um, I, I, I didn't mind it at all. I, and, and like Peter chase and, and, Jason Carr are phenomenal uh, PR guys. Uh, Peter's gone now, but uh, off to better things. But 
we're uh, I'm super thankful for their leadership and and their guidance uh, in uh, being able to to navigate that for me because it was very new and and it can be intimidating if you don't have somebody that that can kind of put things in perspective for you. You know, I've talked to a, a number of managers over the years. Larry Durker, in particular, comes to mind. Uh, he wanted to be second guessed after a game. He wanted to be asked a hard question so he could explain why he did what he did. Um, and there would be times where I'd be playing golf with him the next day, and he, and he would be like, "I can't believe they didn't ask me about that." You know, such and such a move. Um, did, 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 did you have a situation like that where you, you got done with the media and said? I can't believe they didn't, you know, call me out or at least ask my opinion why I did. And it must be really frustrating if they don't ask and then they write, Rossi did this wrong or this happened and it should have, you know, and you never had the chance to explain yourself. So um, yeah. what, what, what's your take on that? I didn't feel like I got, you know, I try not to read too much. Um, you know, my, I've got some, I've got a group text with some buddies that'll send me some stuff every once in a while. And most of the time it's positive or, you know, the, the team acting the fool in the dugout, but sometimes it's an article, uh, blasting me. And so, so they, uh, they'll start poking fun at me, fun at me. Join but, the club, Rossi. We're all in that group. Don't worry. You know? Um, but no, I thought there was, I don't remember the topic, but I remember there were a few times when I walked out and me and Peter, you know, we kind of, you know, he would help me prep before. And, um, and we would kind of talk before we go in and a couple of times it would just be like, I'd come out and I'm like, man, I can't believe they didn't ask me about yeah. this. The other. So there's for sure those, those times that come in, but, but other things pop up on their radar. You know, you realize like they've got some stories that they want to get out or are working on. You know, I know the, the Schwarber thing got a ton of attention and, and that was a little, that, that was like the first pause I had as a manager when that kind of like, sure. you know, that got a little hairy and having to answer to them. And then they follow up with the player and you never know how that's going to go. Cause you, I hadn't even got a chance to talk to, to Kyle yet. And so just it's a lot of there's a lot of that that you realize you've got to be prepared for and uh, and kind of ahead of uh, at times. Uh, we have a couple more minutes with uh, Rossi or David or the skipper. And, J.D., you have a hard-hitting – we saved the hard-hitting question yeah. for last, so I'll let you ask. Yeah. So who, if anybody, calls you Dave? Or no, David, I, you're always David or Rossi. You're never Dave. I mean, what's I'm the not, deal? I'm not a big fan of Dave. I, that's no. the only one I think I'll, I'll fix. I think I think my dad was Big Dave. So like uh, that, yeah. like I saved that for my dad. He's he's David Ross as well. We have different middle names, but uh, that's Big Dave. So I, I'll, I I'm I don't mind anything, but the Dave is uh, it just makes me feel like so weird. I don't know. I don't like <laughs> no. Totally yeah. understandable. Yeah, you yeah, you said, don't call me Ross, yeah. right? It's Rossi or David. Yeah. Yeah, no I, Dave, no Ross. Listen, I learned in this job, there's a lot more names that I'm gaining. <laughs> do, you take, do you take umbrage if somebody were to call you coach and not skipper? <laughs> no, because I realized the, that not everybody is as uh, in tune with baseball knowledge or the, the ranking right. and all that. So, yeah. yeah, I get that. Actually, around my hometown, People say they play coach around here because they're used to like Bobby Bowden walks around here <laughs> and a bunch of football coaches with two universities here and um, so yeah the coach thing it makes it makes me laugh on the inside because I they don't know but I don't I, I got no ego and all I, that. I played with I played for Hal Lanier in Houston and he Hal hated that and he had actually put a sign up above his his desk I'm not the coach I'm the manager <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember when I first got drafted and you go in and you call your any, any anybody coach, right? Like any of the, the yeah. real coaches or the manager and they say, no, my name's David or my name's Bill or my, like, you know, they didn't want to be called any of that stuff. They want to be called by their first name uh, in pro ball. I know that was a big stickler from from uh, the guys I came up with uh, and who were teaching me in the minor leagues that was like rule number one don't call me coach yeah and don't call an umpire blue i don't know if yeah, you remember exactly. that one when yeah. you're coming out of college and, and you're playing pro ball and you're, hey blue and they just kind of <laughs> well, yeah. blue where's tom you know? yeah <laughs> all right last one and you mentioned your relationship with jed and he's going to be a terrific uh president of baseball operations but last question um and again, I'm not giving you a lot of time here, so it's not fair, but your relationship with Theo and how much he's meant to you. 
oh man, listen, like this guy changed my entire path of, of my career and, um, talking about some guys that have had influence on, on just my overall, um, how I got to where I, I am now. Like Theo Epstein is, is at the top of that list outside of maybe some, with my dad, you know, who helped <laughs> the reason I'm here. Um, it, it, you know, he, he has the ability to speak some truths to you in a way that you can take ownership of in your career and in your life and who you want to be. And the fact that he has always been open and honest in an era and a time when that wasn't the case and um, talking to players and talking to them about how they saw them um, when everything was a big secret when I was kind of coming up and throughout most of my career. Um, he was the first guy to tell me about a reputation that I had. Um, I've written about it in my book, but just, you know, for those who hadn't heard the story, just, you know, I came in, I got released by Cincinnati, um, had a couple of options. Theo um, picked me up uh, after I, I cleared waivers and, and, and brought me on to Boston, promised me to call me up before September deadline um, so I could get free agency. I mean, no other team would do that. So I signed with Boston and at the end of it made a good run. Uh, he called me in the office, just told me my reputation wasn't that great, uh, that he hadn't seen that, uh, since I had been in Boston, but, um, that my reputation, some other places wasn't good. And, and that's what I heard. And, um, he just thought I should know that. And from that day forward, I, I made a point to make sure I would just never consider a selfish, uh, player or, or person and, and, a team guy and, 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 and I changed that narrative for the good and, and it's, it's thanks to him. And then he brings on, <clears throat> brings me on to, uh, to Chicago with John and give me some real truths on that and being able, you know, let me celebrate the back end of my career after a terrible season about ending to Boston. I was, I was awful in my last year there and thought my baseball career might be over. And then I ride John Lester's coattails to, uh, to a two-year deal in a in a in a in a World Series uh, that has has changed my life uh, for sure, and, and to go on and then uh, to hire me and 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 be able to be a special assistant and um, now have the job I have, I'm pretty thankful. Well, he left you in good stead, and uh, as he said, he'll still call you and text you and second guess you, which he, is awesome. He, he's going to be blowing me up, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Coach. Thanks for that. <laughs> Happy holidays. We can't wait to see you in person in a couple of months. Thanks for joining us. Great stuff today. Yeah, thanks, Lance. I love listening to you guys' stuff. It's really good. Thanks, Rossi. Great stuff, as always, from Cubs manager David Ross. JD, I, I'm always struck by his sense of uh i guess self-awareness <laughs> which sometimes can be lacking in that position and in this industry but uh the theo story really still resonates the, the fact that he he needed to make a change and he did and i guess the irony of that is and you can tell me otherwise but i've never heard that he's been a bad teammate since the day he got to chicago yeah i guess we'd have to you know do some digging at earlier in, earlier in his career because he yeah he seems like the ultimate teammate um, you know, has such great leadership qualities. It, it is kind of ironic, to, you know, and I've heard that story before, as you have, uh, the fact that he was considered by some to be a bad teammate, maybe a little selfish. Uh, but but as, as we've said from day one, when he got hired, he checks all the boxes. And for a guy that had never managed before to have to go through the year that he did, uh, the, the COVID protocols, um, uh, just a, a, a really a job well done. And uh, Cubs are in a great position going forward, I think, with Rossi at the helm. And we we didn't get a chance to ask him, but I think the other thing you in particular appreciated about his first goal round is that the very first game he ever managed, and I suppose you could claim that it was an easy call, but he let his starting pitcher finish the game. And, you know, that's not something that happens very often, especially with the whole narrative around the end of July that none of the starting pitchers in the league were stretched out. Yeah, but I, letting of, Kyle finish that game was really cool. Yeah, there were a lot of pitchers that uh, they weren't going to go more than three innings. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, so, you, you know, he was keeping a, a close watch on, on the pitch count. But all the while, you know, with, with Hendricks out there, the way he pitches – um, I think he felt pretty comfortable letting him go. But, yeah, it's just another one of those uh, tough situations to be put in as a first-year manager. 
and one other one, uh, I thought he handled Craig Kimbrell not only in the media, in terms of being asked about his struggles early on, but but really in in keeping him in the mix and having Kimbrell by the end of the year again become one of the essentially top two relievers on the team with Jeremy Jeffress. That thing could have really gone sideways after early on some of the same problems he had experienced the year before, but he got better as the year went on. And I, I give his manager a lot of credit for that too. Yeah. And you know, there had to been some hard conversations down there in, in that clubhouse between those two, because Kimbrell is you know, one of the best closers ever. And uh, I, I'm sure, you know, he, his mindset at the time was probably, look, I'm going to be all right. You know, keep leaning on me. And Rossi was like, no, we're going to you know take you out of the fire here a little bit and kind of, uh, kind of rehab you mentally. Um, and, and it worked. And he came back and he was at the top of his game. So um, that's always a big challenge for any manager. And again, for a guy first year going through it, that would you know prove to be a, a really shining example of, of uh, he just has good touch. He's really good with people and he knows the game, obviously. All right. I've got the Dixon Baseball Dictionary on my desk. Give me a letter and uh, we'll dive into a couple of baseball terms. Well, let's uh, let's go right off the top. Let's go to the letter A. You're going to make it easy on me. Yeah. By the way, this book is 990-some pages. So <laughs> it's, it's a big book. Ooh, this is good. All right. AstroTurf, you know it well. The brand name for one of the earliest and most popular forms of artificial turf. Got its name from the Astrodome the uh, former home of your team, the Houston Astros. Uh, by the time you got to the big leagues, I want to say half the league had AstroTurf, right? A lot of the all-purpose stadiums. Um, we're now down to Tampa, and actually a couple of places have added artificial stuff. The new ballpark in Texas, I want to say Miami. Uh, because they feel like they perfected it to a degree where a lot of the retractable roof ballparks, they feel like it's it's easier to maintain. Yeah, they've created a, 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 a substance that mimics grass much better than the original AstroTurf did. And in the dome, by the time I got there, there was all these weird seams in the turf and the ball would take crazy bounces. And, you know, a ground ball to the left of the shortstop, this turf would be so fast it would end up in the gap. It would go for a triple sometimes. Um, and I'm sure you know the story. Um, the dome originally had a clear roof, and the grass wouldn't grow, uh, so or they they couldn't see the ball and the, because of the bright sky overhead. So they painted the roof, killed the grass, and they said, "Uh oh, we need to fix this." <laughs> and Monsanto Monsanto uh, developed the, the, the astroturf. And yeah, by the time when I was in the National League, um, it seemed like just about all the stadiums were artificial turf. Yeah. Was there anything about art, artificial turf as a pitcher that was beneficial or was it all a benefit um, to the offense? Yeah, it, it helped offense. Certainly, I guess I guess you could argue because I, if you were a fly ball pitcher like I was, um, you might have a slight advantage over a ground ball pitcher um, because ground balls on turf, obviously, we're not going to get mm -hmm. um, slowed down like they would on grass. But but no, you know. It was so fast. Uh, I don't think there was any real advantage for pitchers with turf. Okay, one other uh, baseball term, starting with the letter A, artist. An accomplished baseball player in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And uh, the second definition would be a skilled pitcher, Tom Glavin, uh, used as an example. Uh, you're very good at using terminology that's not related to baseball specifically uh, that fits in nicely. And I think painting and artistry that, that really does kind of quote paint <laughs> quite a visual uh, for fans, not only on television, but radio as well. And uh, artistry that works. And I think of Kyle Hendricks. Yeah. Well, right? I, immediately when you said artist, the first image that popped into my head is Greg Maddox. Mm -hmm. And Greg Maddox always leads us to Kyle Hendricks. Um, it's the, you know, the artistry. And sometimes, you know, power guys get left out of that conversation because we think of finesse pitchers being artists. 
Uh, obviously, the, the great ones are both. There are, there are power pitchers who have great – Tom Seaver comes to mind, right? Uh, a power pitcher who had great control and, and great uh, pitching acumen. Uh, but, but, yeah, Maddox is kind of the, the signature guy. And in, in the modern game, the, the active guy would be Kyle Hendricks. And I, I think the position player comp in terms of artistry would be Javi Baez, Fernando Tatis Jr., Nolan Arenado, guys like that, right? Um, Brooks Robinson back in the day, uh, kind of the, the real athletic, artistic, defensive plays and magical plays around the bag. Yeah, great defenders. And you think about the artistry, um, Andrew Jones in the outfield comes mm-hmm. to mind of turning into the way back machine. The kid, our guy watched as a kid, Mark Belanger at shortstop. Um, yeah, uh, kind of a graceful, you know, a hobby, so graceful around the bag and um, makes so many, and not just with bias, it's not just defensively, it's base running too with the slides and all the, all the trickery. Well, uh, happy 93rd birthday to the greatest broadcaster ever, Vin Scully. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, happy holiday season. When does the Christmas tree go up, J.D.? Well, we have a little one up right now. I think we're like a lot of people with the pandemic. We're kind of mm-hmm. pushing the season a little bit. Um, so we don't have a great big one here. Uh, that We may ultimately go out and buy a new one. But we have a little one up. And uh, Lori and Molly yesterday made this unbelievable gingerbread house. So we're, we're buying in. We're in land. We're all in. I love uh, it. How about you guys? Uh, ours will probably go up a couple weeks before Christmas. But we're listening to Christmas music already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on xm so uh that's it. getting us in the holiday spirit for sure special thanks big jim oboykowitz shane mcguire joe rios matt Romito, daniel green adam sobel for jim deshays i'm len casper subscribe rate review and share this podcast with your friends and we will talk to you soon on open concessions presented by toyota Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team.